Hi, I'm Damon Fairless, host of Hunting Warhead from CBC Podcasts and the Norwegian newspaper VG. Hunting Warhead follows a global team of police and journalists as they attempt to dismantle a massive network of predators on the dark web. Winner of the grand prize for best investigative reporting at the New York festivals and recommended by The Guardian, Vulture, and The Globe and Mail, you can find Hunting Warhead on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Not surprisingly, the stress of COVID-19 has left a lot of people lying awake at night. I was wide awake at 3 a.m. last night, and it took me an hour to get back to sleep. I know what you're going through, because it's my problem, too. I've been battling insomnia since I was a teenager. I'm sure many of you listening right now can relate. Even when we're not living through a crisis, insomnia affects a significant proportion of Canadians. Whether you're a chronic insomniac like me or you just started having trouble during the pandemic, the good news is that there are things we can do to help make sure we get more of the rest that we so badly need. Today, I'm joined by psychology professor Céline Bastien. Her research specialty at Laval University is insomnia. I certainly want to hear about that. She's also the president of the Canadian Sleep Society. Professor Bastien will help us answer the question, why do I have insomnia and how can I get my sleep? Hi, Professor Bastien. Welcome to The Dose. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Goldman. This is a pleasure to be with you today. So I hope I'm going to be able to answer all the questions. What kind of company am I in? How common is insomnia among Canadians? Uh, Usually among Canadians, we can look at uh, a figure of about 13% of all uh, individual, you know, in the general population that do report an insomnia disorder or we can diagnose an insomnia disorder. We have to make a difference between the insomnia disorder, the syndrome, if you want to, and the symptoms, because people that will report symptoms are about like 40% without getting the disorder per se. So this means that individual that might experience one or two bad nights during the week or that have on and off uh, problems, but not three nights per week for at least three months, we would put them in the category of that they are presenting symptoms. So, so, that, so that we understand it, the actual criteria is three nights a week for at, yeah. least, three, for at least three months. That's right. Insomnia can be a standalone disorder, but most of the time it does present itself uh, with a comorbidity like uh, another psychological disorder, like anxiety disorder or depression. And with the COVID-19, what we have seen is that an increase in PTSD, which is a post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, because there's a lot of nightmares that have been uh, also uh, being part of that general picture of insomnia per se. Now, we know that insomnia can take many forms. And when I was a teenager, I had trouble falling asleep. But uh, in my adulthood, I've had trouble staying asleep. So I can fall asleep pretty quickly, but I'll wake up at three or four in the morning, sometimes because I have to go to the bathroom, I'll try to go back to sleep and then I can't. So what do we call that when somebody has trouble staying asleep? You're right. With age, Usually, the sleep problem changes because insomnia can be, as you mentioned, a problem of falling asleep, a problem of staying asleep, which is maintenance insomnia. And you can also have an early morning awakening. 
That means that you're waking up much more earlier than you're supposed to wake up or that you would want to wake up, but you cannot go back to sleep. As we are younger, we do have sleep onset problems. So we have problems getting to sleep at night, you know, just falling asleep. And as we grow older, then it's going to be problems staying asleep. As you mentioned, going to the bathroom or waking up in the middle of the night and you don't know why you woke up and you cannot go back to sleep. But as psychologists, we have the same approach for both. What are some of the other age-related issues that crop up that lead to insomnia? I know one is pain. You know, there are, as you get older, you have more arthritis and you may find that, that you assume a certain position when you're asleep and, and you wake up with a bit of an ache. Yeah, that's right. As you grow older, as you mentioned, you have more arthritis, so you, you can also develop uh, diabetes. So you have more comorbidity as you as you grow older. And there are other sleep disorders that are also presenting themselves, like uh, sleep apnea, for example. Uh, besides that, you have, uh, because people are taking more medication as you grow older, some of the medication that you're taking might also induce insomnia because they have some activating parts or they, they, are, they activate the system. We see that many individuals that have a heart attack or something like that are taking medication uh, for high blood pressure or things like that. And what they do encounter is sleep difficulties, but it's because of the meds that they're taking. Is it just blood pressure medications? What are some of the other common medications that affect your sleep? Well, this is the, the, the most uh, common one. There might be also some uh, antidepressants. Most of them will help you get to sleep, but some others also are linked to sleep disorders. So they should ask their GP as they're taking the medication, what's the percentage of individuals that do report insomnia when they take that medication per se? And there are some interaction between medication too that you can find that will also induce insomnia or sleep difficulties per se. So we've talked about age. What about gender? Are men or women equally prone to insomnia? This is a very interesting question because throughout the literature or what we know about the scientific literature is that usually women are the one reporting more insomnia, and especially when menopause hits, <laughs> you know, this is really the spot, you know. But at the same time, when we do studies, you know, in the lab, when we invite people to participate in different studies about insomnia, we do get an equal number of men than women that do respond to our ads and that participate in our different insomnia studies. Maybe women uh, do talk more about their sleep difficulties. They report it more often to their GP, but they are also like more hormonal changes as we grow older. And these are have been linked to insomnia difficulty too, or sleep, uh, different sleep problems. So is that, are, are hormonal differences the only or the main biological difference between men and women that, that makes women more prone than men to, to uh, insomnia? When we look at precipitating factors of insomnia, hormone is one of them. Most factors are related to stress, our family problems, our financial problems. You know, you don't want to make generalizations, but there is a sense that women 
worry about a lot of things that men don't worry about. For instance, how their children are doing. You know, if their children are having problems in school uh, or if they're having uh, social problems, problems with relationships, they're more inclined to be worried than men are. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that that's absolute. But, but, you know, this leads me directly into COVID. What effect is COVID-19 having on, uh, on uh, levels of insomnia? <laughs> COVID-19 has this effect of about almost doubling the rate of insomnia. And if you talk about it, uh, yeah, almost double, uh, especially in the symptoms range, you know, or as I mentioned earlier, nightmares, bad dreams, you know, that do wake you up uh, during the night. As regard to the uh, insomnia disorder per se, we have seen an increase from 13% up to 20% and more. So the insomnia disorder, we have seen a huge increase. What we see is mostly uh, in those healthcare workers, you know, that are working closely with those patients that do have COVID or are at risk to get COVID and that they're afraid to bring it home and so forth. The rate of insomnia is much higher in these individuals than any other uh, range of population. So that's healthcare workers. But what about what about the rest of uh, of the population? Have you done any studies in general uh, besides healthcare workers to see how everybody else in society is being impacted by COVID? Well, there's a range of studies that have been done, mostly Chinese, but there's a, a recent Canadian study that has been held. Uh, this is from Rebecca Robillard from the Ottawa Royal Hospital, and she has ran a large survey around Canadians. And we've seen that insomnia has uh, went up the bar, you know, just crazy. Uh, so this is all the effect of the confinement. You know, at the beginning of the confinement, what happened is that everybody, the schedule of everybody was just like going AWAR because it, it wasn't working at all. But a lot of people did recuperate on the sleep, but because they were sleep deprived. So they got into the habit of uh, going to bed early or, uh, you know, sleeping in uh, with the kids at home, doing school at home. It was really hard for work. This is true. But they did recuperate on their sleep. But at one point, they kept on trying to go to sleep at the same time and wake up at the same time, but they couldn't. So some bad behaviors uh, or inadapted behaviors started to be there. You stay in bed longer than what you are sleeping. And this is one of the behavioral part of the treatment because you should be in bed the time you sleep and that's it. Um, so this being said, what we see with the... Um, COVID-19, we see the rate of insomnia going up. And it might be linked to anxiety and depression too, because those two uh, psychopathology went up at the same time. We've also been hearing anecdotally that rates of alcohol use are going up in men and in women. What impact does that have on, on sleep quality? What we know about uh, alcohol and sleep is that if you use it, to go to, you know, to help you sleep. Usually if you do drink alcohol during the evening or something like that, it will help you fall asleep easier. At the same time, you will have maybe a little bit more deeper sleep at the beginning of your night, but then it will be quite fragmented. So you will wake up often. And you, sometimes even as we grow older, this is uh, this has been documented, is that when you do drink alcohol, 
then, you know, I, I don't know, around four or five o'clock in the morning, you cannot sleep anymore. You wake up and that's it. Your night of sleep is uh, shortened. I, I want to turn to, to from, from the phenomenon of, of insomnia to the impact of insomnia on our health. And I'm reminded that a long time ago, I took a Dale Carnegie course, and, and he wrote famously in a book called Freedom from Worry, nobody ever died from lack of sleep. So he, he was trying to say, don't worry if you can't sleep. It's not going to affect your health. But what are some of the warning signs that lack of sleep is taking a toll on your health? Okay, so the first thing I want to say is that um, ethically, you know, we're not, um, <laughs> we're, we cannot deprive someone from sleep till they die. But we know that from animal studies that, you know, the uh, animals do uh, die after being sleep deprived for a while. So if you, ex- ex- if you extend that to human, this is one thing. Okay, I just wanted to put this into context. We cannot die per se from the lack of sleep, but we know that, you know, the lack of sleep will have an effect on your immune system, for example. Uh, You mentioned worry, and this is something very important, because as you worry, the more you worry, it is more the worry that will have an impact, you know, on your health than your lack of sleep per se. Most of the time when people do consult about their sleep difficulties, in fact, they do not consult about the sleep difficulty per se. They, they come to the GP because they have some uh, attention lapses or they, they are not able to concentrate. And these are the things that are bringing you, the individual to look at their sleep difficulties. And they worry about their sleep difficulty because of the effect they have on their next day. And some individual with insomnia, their life will be taken over by their insomnia disorder. They will dictate what they will do the next day according to their previous night of sleep. You mentioned lack of attention. You mentioned uh, problems with the immune system. What are the other effects uh, from lack of sleep? Other, you know, things that might come up is that you will have individual that will develop Uh, some other psychopathology, for example, depression. Depression and insomnia are closely linked. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services. Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years, but this is our first podcast. CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I think we've talked enough about the problem of insomnia and its long-term consequences, and, and we can agree that I worry a lot about my insomnia. So let's have a few strategies that I can use to manage my insomnia. In fact, our digital team has put together a video of those tips that I'll point listeners to at the end of the podcast. But I'm interested to hear what are your top tips for handling insomnia, especially now during the pandemic? Uh, One of them is do not stay in bed if you're not able to fall asleep or if you wake up during the night. Uh, So that is that if you're more than, let's say, 20 to 30 minutes in bed and you haven't fallen asleep, or you wake up during the night and you go back to sleep and for 20 or 30 minutes you cannot go back to sleep, get up, get out of your bed. 
and go and do something else, something calm. You know, I'm not saying reading the dictionary or something like that, but, you know, water, plants, but it's not the time to go and vacuum the house, you know, or do something like that, or do more laundry, or, uh, you know, don't go in front of the computer and play whatever game, you know. You should do something that is quiet, you know, and will calm you down. The other thing that you might want to do, especially if it's worry, you know, that little hamster that keeps on running in your head, you might find time during the day, like a special time dedicated for worrying. You might decide like between two and three in the afternoon, you sit down and you say, this is my hour to worry. And you write down or you think about all the things that, you know, gets you upset or worries you. If it's the kids, it's the kids. If it's work, it's work. If it's all of these, you know, whatever it is. And then when you go to bed and you start to worry, you say, no, I have my worry time during the day. Now it's my time to sleep. But the thing is that we're all, if you start running after sleep, it will escape you. The other thing is that you might want to talk to some people and just express your sleep difficulties just to exchange with people sometimes will help you. Uh, the other thing that you can do also is to re refrain from bringing everything into your bedroom. For example, uh, you use your phone, you have your laptop, you have your tablet, you have different electronics that you bring into your bedroom. And you shouldn't because your bed is supposed to be reserved for sleep and sexual activities. And that's it. Nothing else is supposed to happen in the bed. One of the things that is important, too, is that you have to reserve at least an hour each and every night before you go to bed to relax. Uh, and some people will say that exercise is a good thing. Of course, exercise every day is better than no exercise at all. And, you know, exercise during the day will help you getting a, a more profound sleep if you want to, or deeper sleep. But don't exercise like the, in, within four or five hours before going to sleep, because then you're going to activate your system. And because you we're uh, in... I'm not saying confinement, but we're more at home. It might be the right time to have your bedroom, you know, uh, redecorated or something like that. You should uh, have an environment that is, uh, you know, enticing to go to sleep too. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, the bedroom environment is very important to me. One of the things that I have, you know, I and I've done from time to time night shifts in the emergency department. So I have blackout curtains. I wear eye shades. As far as noises, I wear soft earplugs and I have a white noise machine to help block out noise. So, so these are some things that people can try as well. Yeah, of course, I totally recommend it, you know, and me, myself, like you, you know, I have some really dark shades in my room and, you know, I don't have any noise. I wear earplugs too when I sleep. Uh, I, I think napping can be a problem if, if you nap too deeply for too long during the day. Isn't that right? Yes. And sometimes people don't consider, you know, that napping time within their total sleep. You know, when, the, when you go to your GP and you say, I'm not sleeping enough, but finally you have that two hour nap <laughs> right in the middle of the afternoon, uh, it will impact directly on your uh, following night of sleep. So usually what we do recommend is meet, meet 
20 minutes up to one hour. One hour is really the maximum that you should have a nap during the day. So what advice can you give to people who have just started to experience insomnia during the pandemic? Well, about all the recommendations that I said earlier, I think the most important ones are the hygiene one. You get a routine before you go to bed. You know, you give yourself that one hour to relax. You know, with kids, it's working really well. They have a routine before they go to bed. And usually, you know, it's just what brings them into bed and they fall asleep. It's the same thing for us. And you forget about this. So get your routine Get a schedule. Get out of bed each and every morning at the same time. Weekend, like, you know, the the week, it doesn't matter. You get out of bed each and every morning at the same time because it's that time that will get your sleep with schedule, you know, organized during the day. Um, We haven't talked about medication. And sometimes medication might help you, you know, to deal with your first sleep difficulties uh, to help you reset your sleep schedule. So it, I'm not saying it's the, the good thing, but I'm saying sometimes for some individual, this might be helpful. And then after that, you can, because you're not supposed to take meds to, to sleep more than a month. You know, when you break a leg, you have a cast. So sometimes it might help for a while. And then it will reset your, your sleep-wake schedule and you will be fine. So that might be another option. But I would say mostly it all, it's all about hygiene. I think a lot of people who are suffering from insomnia right now during the pandemic want to know, is this just temporary? Is it likely to get better once life eventually returns to normal? It depends. Those that will develop a psychopathology, it's going to be much more harder. But it doesn't mean that because you have sleep difficulties right now, that it will uh, automatically develop into a chronic condition. It could resolve itself. You know, if your financials are better, if you worry less, if you get your job back, or if you go back on a regular schedule, or if you adjust to uh, uh, working from home and things like that, you know, your sleep might get better. And and in the meantime, this might be an opportunity to develop some better sleep habits. Exactly. You know, it, it's uh, it's the right time to do it because we're mostly working from home. So as I mentioned, you know, the routine, it's just like something that we forgot about. And it were, it's working so well with kids. Why not treat yourself to an hour, you know, before going to bed? to do something that you like and that will relax you. You deserve to act after your day of work or whatever. You're right. We all deserve a better night's sleep. And Professor Bastien, I wanted to thank you for helping us with some tips on how to do just that. Oh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. That was Céline Bastien professor of psychology at Laval University and president of the Canadian Sleep Society. Here's your dose of smart advice. To be diagnosed with insomnia, it means you either have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep for at least three nights a week for at least three months. If you have insomnia like me, you're not alone. Before COVID-19, around 13% of us had insomnia. Since the pandemic, rates have doubled due to factors like stress, isolation, and increased alcohol use. Here are just some of the things you can do to deal with insomnia. Make a consistent sleep schedule. 
Try to go to bed at the same time each night and get up at the same time each morning. You should nap no more than 20 to 60 minutes during the daytime. Keep the bedroom for sleeping and sex only. Do not bring smartphones or tablets to bed or they'll disrupt your sleep. In the hour or so before bedtime, disengage from things that make you worry like reading emails from your boss. Instead, do relaxing things like light reading or listening to music that calms you down. Exercise is great, but vigorous exercise right before bedtime can disrupt your sleep. I'd avoid alcohol especially during the evening because it makes you sleep less. Professor Bastain said, if you run after sleep, it will escape you. I've found that worrying about lack of sleep is worse than the actual health impact of lack of sleep. Do more of the tips we've talked about and worry less. Earlier in the podcast, I mentioned a video filled with my hard-earned tips for getting a better night's sleep. You can find the video at cbc.ca slash whitecoat along with an article. Thanks this week to Fabiola Carletti and Andrew Nguyen for their work on the video and to Hadil Abdel-Nabi for the article. And if you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This episode of The Dose was produced by Nicole Ireland and Donna Dingwall with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Big thanks to Austin Pomeroy for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health, but if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.